Welcome to the Women's Wellbeing Academy podcast, brought to you by the University of New South Wales, Sydney. This series explores the impact of COVID-19 on various aspects of women's health and wellbeing. My name is Bill Ledger and I'm Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at the University of New South Wales. Today, I'm hosting a podcast with Hal Pawson, who's Professor of Housing Research and Policy and Associate Director at the City Futures Research Centre at UNSW. In this role, he has led several major research projects funded by the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute and by the Australian Research Council. His key interests include private rental housing, social and affordable housing and urban renewal. Much of his work has involved analysing aspects of our current housing system that are underperforming in social, socio-economic or financial terms. The results of these problems, which are all too evident in contemporary Australian society, include impaired urban productivity, as well as rising homelessness, rental stress, and broader inequalities. Hal's approach draws on his early UK career in housing practice and benefits from a strong understanding of comparative approaches to housing problems in many countries. So Hal, many thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I think we could start by asking you about the gender dimensions of homelessness, puts the Academy's work in perspective. Yeah, thanks very much. Well, homelessness, of course, is is a a fairly elastic word. (laughs) Um, We can all, we've all got some sense in our minds of what that conjures up for us. And I think probably for most people, what it conjures up is something which I would say is only a very, very small fragment of wider homelessness. So there are innumerable definitions of homelessness, but the one that's, that's plainest is, is street homelessness, is people sleeping rough. That's something that we can all sadly observe, and we probably observe it slightly more often nowadays than in the past, until the last few weeks at any rate, and I'll come on to that. So when we want to discuss the question of gender and homelessness, it, it depends what sort of homelessness you mean. And that's, that's because the numbers do vary a lot depending on which part of the bigger homelessness picture that you're looking at. However, let's start by talking about street homelessness because that's probably how most people obviously conceive of it. In the, the street homeless population, the statistics suggest that there's a highly disproportionate representation of men. I don't think that will come as any great surprise. I mean, there, there are numbers on this. It's not just an impression or a sort of media portrayal. So, for example, in Sydney, just looking at some local statistics, there was a recent data gathering exercise, which happens every few years in 2019, so before the current crisis. And that showed that 15% of the 390 people who were logged in that were female. So one in six or a bit less. That is probably an understatement in various ways, but it's still, you know, it's probably not not miles out if we're talking about the street homeless population. There's other studies which show an even more disproportionately male population. For example, one that's particularly related to health, an earlier study, which again in Sydney, which collected a, a set of very detailed data about people who are attending mental health clinics in Sydney homelessness shelters. In that cohort, only 7% were female. So in those populations, the, the, the number is, is smaller. But homelessness, as I said, is measured in a variety of ways. And the way I look at it, street homelessness is really just a, just a tip of an iceberg, really. And that's especially the case if you're talking about the number of people who are street homeless at any one particular time. Because 
you know, it's a shifting population. There's not a fixed number of people who are just living on the streets forever and never changing. Some people are there for a long time, but there's also a lot of people who are cycling in and out of rough sleeping and then finding bolt holes, finding couch surfing or finding some form of shelter. And, and sometimes that doesn't last. So a much wider definition of homelessness, which is the one that's used in the census, that covers people living in severely overcrowded accommodation, in designated homelessness accommodation, boarding houses and things of that nature. That's a much bigger category. That's uh, counted in the last census in 2016 is 116,000 people across Australia. Only 8,000 street homeless, but 116,000 total homeless. In that much wider population, the gender balance is quite different. There's a much higher proportion of female representation there. It's still a minority, but it's not far off equal. It's somewhere around 58% male, 42% female. And that's, that's been almost unchanging for the last 10 years or so. So, yeah, cut it in various different ways. And how maybe just to explore that with you further, do you have data that would show in that wider grouping the different ages of women that would be involved and men also? And how many of those women would be single mothers with children? Yes, the, the census collects this data, however, perfectly or imperfectly. There's all kinds of debates about, you know, the, the, the definitions and the measurement of homelessness is a, is a massive field in itself. There's, there's hundreds of papers about this. So, yeah, we can say something about the age profiles as well and the changing age profiles. And that's one of the most interesting or maybe significant gender related observations from the most recent census data, which is that Although the overall proportion of women in the homeless population as measured by the census didn't really change in the last 10 years, there's an older women group, which is still a relatively small group, but has been increasing much faster than the overall homelessness population. So in the last five years, that group expanded by 31% in the last five years. That's women aged over 50, whereas homeless people as a whole increased 14% over that time. So that is a significant feature of the most recent statistics. And single moms with children, are there figures for that group? Um, There probably are. I don't have that off the top of my head. The proportion of homeless people found by the census who are families is is a minority, I think. Partly because of the way that our welfare state works is that there's more effort given to intervening when it comes to young people and families. So... Taking that figure of 116,000, clearly that's a major public health challenge. Explore with us how governments responded to this and and what measures are in place to try and help. Well, we spend about a billion dollars a year on homelessness services overall, nationally. And that number has been increasing by 7% per year in real terms in the last, say, five years or that order. It's recorded every year in the government's report on government services. So homelessness services exist. There are hundreds of more than a thousand, actually, organizations across the country that provide what are classified as homelessness services of one kind or another. Sometimes there are organizations that provide welfare services as well. And data is collected again from that cohort. So that gives you another angle, another sort of statistical angle. And that's interesting because that's a measure of flow, not so much of stock. And again, that gives you a somewhat different picture. So There are about 300,000 requests for homelessness services defined officially as such. 300,000 requests per year across the country. 
And one of the reasons why that's very useful, that that data is recorded and collated by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, is because it can provide at least some insight into the circumstances in which homelessness occurs, a little bit about the back history. The census or any kind of survey can be interesting, but it's limited because it often can give you profile data of what's happening at the moment. But the service user data that's published by or collated and published by the AIHW, that gives you something richer in some ways because homelessness services ask a series of questions defined by AIHW to everyone who is requesting a service. Yeah. So there's a bit more information that you can that you can glean from that about characteristics, but also about the previous circumstances, about the factors that might have prompted the request the 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 problem that the housing problem that they've got and uh, no there's it's not it's imperfect data i mean for example there's quite a high proportion of people who's the main factor that's prompted them to ask for help is quote unquote housing crisis well yes but that's a pretty unhelpful category i think really however there is also another of the categories is domestic and family violence Mm. and that is big it's over a third of, of all requests for assistance annually that are recorded through the system that arise. It's the single largest category amongst the, the classification. So, of course, there are a few men in that category, but primarily that is where you, the group you were talking about earlier, mothers with children, are the vast majority of that group. And maybe give us a flavour of the provision for that group in comparison with the wider group. Obviously, there's a lot of facilities available. Do you feel that provision is reasonably acceptable quality for, for this group of people? Well, that depends what you mean by provision, because I think what I'm always trying to sort of argue is that provision of emergency or crisis provision is important. And of course, you know, we need to have enough of that. But this is a wider problem. And it's the provision of or it's the availability of low cost housing, housing that's affordable to people on relatively low incomes. Mm-hmm. And the lack of that and the intensifying shortage of that uh, is one of the mainsprings of homelessness increasing in this country. It's a very hard thing to prove, but that would be my claim. And there are certainly very strong indications that that's the case. So when you say is there enough provision? Yes, certainly there's the sort of specialist crisis and emergency provision. There's a whole array of women's refuge type accommodation, which is clearly set up for that purpose. And a lot of that arises from a period in the 1970s when there was a very a big upsurge of concern, activity and, you know, some expenditure from yeah. government that created the beginnings of that cohort of provision that we still have today. And, and, and that has been expanded to some extent since then. But the bigger question is, what's the provision of permanent housing? That is a way out beyond the shelter because that's a temporary solution. And is the inadequacy of that one of the reasons why the problem exists? So you implied at the beginning of our discussion that the period of change that we're in at the moment has had an impact on this area and and we're coming out of the pandemic. Tell us more about your thoughts on how things are changing at the moment. Well, I mean, I think what's happened in the last two months in this area, the policy change, the government action that we've seen, it has been quite remarkable, not only in this country, but it's represented in in, in Australia, that the policy attention that suddenly focused on street homelessness, at least, and also a little bit beyond that, homeless people living in relatively crowded shelter type accommodation, both of those populations suddenly became of interest 
to government when the pandemic began to emerge you know the action that followed from that within really a matter of weeks to find tens of millions of dollars that previously wasn't available and to to initiate a i think quite well coordinated campaign anyway to proactively rescue people off the streets and out of possibly unsafe from a health point of view accommodation so about five thousand rough sleepers and others from homelessness shelter type housing have been rehoused or were rehoused in a very short time with certainly with in a month within two or three weeks i think and this happens in every state in australia there's a figure of 1500 or 15 or 1600 in new south wales for example and that's not just in sydney although probably a disproportionate part of that is in sydney and these people have been put into temporary housing which in some cases is four-star hotels in most cases is some form of hotel or you know previous tourist accommodation which, of course, is extremely available at the moment. So, of course, in some ways, well, it was sort of easy to do it in the current circumstances. Um, Yes, money had to be found, but the availability of accommodation was suddenly not a problem. So temporary circumstances have been, you know, you could never have predicted that, I don't think. So that clearly begs the question, now that we're moving out of the the active phase of COVID in Australia, and these people are in temporary accommodation, what's your vision about how things might be in three months or six months time are we going to go back to the times before covid or will there be a more permanent change i mean there's tremendous uncertainty about this so you've got something like five thousand people at the moment in hotels motels some of them actually in student housing blocks because there's a bit of a surplus of that as well at the moment most of those bookings are not long-term bookings some of them have been renewed i believe they were maybe for a month initially and they've gone beyond a month now but there's absolute confusion about the sort of exit strategy from from this some efforts have been made already and small numbers of those people have been rehoused into longer term housing and you know this happens all this is not just something that's happened only in the pandemic it's not that governments don't take any interest in this or there are no services that try to rescue people off the street and find some help them into accommodation yes but it's been stepped up in a massive way but the number that we're now talking about who are in a short-term situation that is not sustainable financially or otherwise poses an absolutely huge challenge and it's a very difficult challenge because going back to the problem that we talked about or that I was alluding to earlier that we don't have the stock the large stock of low cost housing permanent tenancy or you know secure accommodation that people can be easily moved on to it varies in different parts of the country yes i mean the 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 sort of intense shortage that we have in capital cities like sydney it isn't as bad in a lot of regional parts of australia but the problem is also mainly concentrated in capital cities so it's posing a a, an enormous challenge there because we only have four percent of all of our of our housing stock which is social housing in other words it's housing managed by government directly or by not-for-profit providers for you know a sort of permanent tenancy basis internationally that's yeah there are some countries which have less but internationally that's quite small and it's declined by a third um, since the 1990s so the, the the scope for the social housing sector for public housing community housing to be a sort of shock absorber here um, is very limited and in a situation like this that problem suddenly is in sharp relief it's really hard to ignore for government or for the media in a way which most of the time 
it is actually it's you know it's easy to just um, look the other way and it's going to be particularly tough for you know homeless people who become accustomed to some quality of life and and, and creature comfort especially at the beginning of winter if things go backwards again that that strikes me as being a very harsh way to to treat people absolutely that that that's that's also very true so i mean i i think there's a there's a sort of a belief a hope maybe only that it's sort of politically untenable that this cohort of people could be largely ejected from hotels and put back on the street when the tourist industry starts to revive and hoteliers don't really want the business anymore and the money runs out from from state governments you know and maybe there's some sort of political visibility of this is such that that will be borne out the practical way to do it as i said social housing won't soak it up by itself yeah. uh, it will help there is some scope to use the social housing system but if what we call the end of the crisis comes about fairly quickly and the and money runs out fairly quickly and you can't spin this out over a long period then there's no there's no chance that we can find enough public housing community housing tenancies to do it so you need another more flexible way of doing that and probably that could be done through what's called head leasing so quite a number of not-for-profit housing providers have experience in managing privately owned properties in taking on head leases as they're called with funding from government because you have to pay near market rates to do that so it, it, it's not an unknown thing it, it, it exists in certainly most states and territories and at the moment of course again the private rental market is extremely depressed yeah. and is likely to remain fairly depressed for quite a long time and we've seen the vacancy rates in the private rental stock shoot up especially in inner cities and areas where previously had been a lot of, of that housing devoted to tourism so there is availability in that in that sector and head leasing a property it could be done in quite large numbers relatively quickly. It won't be free for government, but it probably costs a lot less than hotels. Yeah, and would give a longer term solution, Hal, and I guess might be particularly suitable for women in, in this position, women with young children, perhaps given some security and longevity of accommodation rather than the current very short term solutions. That might be something that might work well. And, and also geographically, I mean, head leasing, you know, there's private rental property scattered throughout the whole country. So it would be possible to take on property to match where the need is relatively easily. But I mean, the longer term solution is that there needs to be more investment in longer term housing, in permanent housing. And that's not even enough by itself because I wouldn't sort of claim that just building lots more state funded housing is you know, the only thing we need to do to fix the housing system. There's a lot of other things that ideally you would be doing as well, particularly tax reform. That's the biggest area which needs to be attended to, as well as rediscovering the need to invest in publicly funded housing. Al, it's a fascinating topic. Thank you so much for talking it through with us. Is there anything you'd like to add to, to sort of summarise or to conclude our podcast? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just worth saying, watch this space, because, you know, this is a, a moment when we've seen extraordinary policy change that couldn't really have been anticipated, or many of us would have said, no, 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 that, that's just, you know, unimaginable. And so I think it's created a momentum. I think it's created a situation where 
questions that simply couldn't be asked before or you know would never be addressed anyway are now they're things that you can raise in a in polite company the shortcomings the vulnerability of aspects of our, of our housing system are much harder to ignore at the moment and maybe there's a there's a short window where things can come onto the table and there's a possible chance for resetting things yeah. um, which doesn't come along very often no, I think that's a very good word. The resetting idea, I think, is quite ubiquitous, that we don't want to go back to the bad old days before the virus. The things we've learned in a positive way, I think lots of people hope will hold on to, and you've made some very valid points in this area. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed. That's been very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Bye. For more information about this podcast, our guests, and upcoming episodes, please visit the UNSW Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion website.